After today, there are four more Saturdays left in the year 2021. After December 31st, there will only be 78 more years in the 21st century. This perspective brought to you by Charlottesville Community Engagement, a regularly produced look at happenings in and around Charlottesville. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host and producer. On today's show, the Albemarle County Planning Commission gets a look at the comprehensive plan review that's underway. The Central Virginia Regional Housing Partnership takes a look at affordable housing challenges in rural areas. Area airports will get more money from the recent federal infrastructure funding bill. And the Daily Progress owner Lee Enterprises invokes protections against Alden Global Capital's takeover attempt. Let's begin today with a Patreon-fueled shout-out. Colder temperatures have crept in, and now is the perfect time to think about keeping your family warm through the holidays. Make sure you are getting the most out of your home with help from your local energy nonprofit, LEAP. LEAP wants you and yours to keep comfortable all year round and offers free home weatherization to income and age-qualifying residents. If you're age 60 or older, or have an annual household income of less than $74,950, you may qualify for a free energy assessment and home energy improvements, such as insulation and air sealing. Sign up today to lower your energy bills, increase comfort, and reduce energy waste at home. The parent company of The Daily Progress appears to want to reject a takeover by the Alden Capital Group. Lee Enterprises issued a press release on Wednesday with the headline, Board Takes Action in Response to Alden's Unsolicited Proposal to Acquire Lee. Specifically, the Iowa-based company's board of directors have initiated a limited-duration shareholder rights plan that issues existing shareholders additional rights in the case of a hostile takeover. Here's a section from the press release. In adopting the rights plan, the board noted Alden's track record of rapidly acquiring substantial control, or negative control, positions in other public companies and its seemingly inconsistent disclosures. Alden Capital Group asserts they own 6% of Lee's shares. Shareholder rights plans are also known as poison pills and have been used since the 1980s to ward off corporate takeovers. Learn more about that topic in an article on editor and publisher that's linked in the newsletter. You can also learn more on Wikipedia, and that is also linked in the newsletter. The recently adopted Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act provides $15 billion for airports across the nation. Virginia airports will receive nearly $400 million of that amount, according to a press release from Senators Tim Kaine and Mark Warner. The Charlottesville-Albemarle Airport will receive $15.44 million, and Freeman Field in Louisa County will get $790,000. The airport in Orange County will also receive $790,000. Elsewhere in Virginia, Dulles International will get $120.4 million, Richmond International will get $35.6 million, and Roanoke Blacksburg Regional will get $14.97 million. Lynchburg will get nearly $6.5 million, and Culpeper Regional will get $1.48 million. I'll have more information about how Charlottesville Albemarle Airport will use their funding in an upcoming edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement. (laughs) 
The review of the Albemarle County Comprehensive Plan is underway, with a lot of behind-the-scenes work by staff before a public kickoff begins in January. The Albemarle Planning Commission got an update on the process at their meeting on November 16th. Here's Tori Canalopoulos, a senior planner with the county, with a reminder of the plan's purpose. The Comprehensive Plan, or COMP Plan, establishes Albemarle County's long-range vision that guides growth, development, and change for the next 20 years. It assists county staff, appointed committees and boards, and the Board of Supervisors when developing public policies related to private land use activities and use of resources in Albemarle. For the past 40 years, the major theme of the county's COMP Plan has been growth management. Roughly 5% of land in Albemarle is designated for urban development, including more dense residential areas and commercial activities. The rest of the county is considered rural. This time around, supervisors have directed staff to update the zoning ordinance while reviewing the overall comprehensive plan. The comprehensive plan process formally got underway when supervisors adopted a resolution on November 3rd. One of the intents of this review is to streamline much of the content of the plan, which is currently 406 pages long. That number does not include the various appendices. For example, the existing implementation chapter includes 70 priorities. There is not a clear prioritization of these items and the order in which they should be completed. The chapter includes 80 indicators of progress that are intended to be tracked annually. But tracking this data is unsustainable, and the sheer number of indicators make it unclear for community members to understand what success looks like. This review also provides an opportunity to integrate the various strategies of more recently adopted plans, such as Housing Albemarle, Project Enable, and the Climate Action Plan. In all, there will be four phases, with the first being a review of the growth management policy. This includes reviewing, evaluating, and updating the growth management policy as needed using the lenses of equity, climate action, and capacity projections. A capacity analysis for housing and economic development in the county is currently underway, and this is to understand if we have the capacity in our development areas for the projected growth of our community. Phase two will identify topics that will be updated in the comprehensive plan, likely related to transportation and economic development. The county will create its first multimodal systems plan as well. Phase three will review the actions the county will take in the form of written strategies. Phase four will be the finalization of the new plan. We will focus our efforts on identifying and eliminating plan inconsistencies across content. And we will engage the community and decision makers on overall plan priorities once all of the content is considered as a whole. State code assigns the job of preparing and recommending the comprehensive plan to each locality's planning commission. Supervisors have approved a process that includes a working group of stakeholders to guide the process this time. Rachel Falkenstein is a planning manager in Albemarle. The working group is uh, an approximately 8 to 12 person group of community members whose role would be to advise county staff on plan recommendations, community engagement approaches, and to support staff and community staff's community outreach efforts by sharing information with their networks, their neighborhoods, or their communities. The group members have not yet been selected. We are going back to the Board of Supervisors with uh, information sharing about the selection process at an upcoming uh, board meeting in December. Broad community engagement will come in the form of workshops on the plan. The Planning Commission and the Board of Supervisors will play a role in decisions about changes to Albemarle policies. 
Planning Commission Chair Julian Bivens noted that the commission's input will come later in a process that has already begun. He said he wants the commission to meet with supervisors. And so that we can hear each other and discuss how these discussions before we get to an end point. The review of the zoning code will happen concurrently and is currently underway. Charles Rapp is the county's planning director. We have a first phase right now. It's called modernization. Two of those have been brought to you through a resolution of intent uh, that deal with bonus densities and um, waivers and special exceptions. The supervisors will have a public hearing on those special exceptions at their meeting on December 1st. Rapp said another change will be to streamline the list of land use categories. I believe our, our current chart is something like 16 pages long right now. Uh, very specific pieces. We want to kind of tailor that back down to something more reasonable. Um, we also want to take a look at our setbacks. Our setbacks are quite complicated to figure out, multiple different ways within each zoning classification. We want to try and improve that and make uh, a little more clear for folks applying our zoning ordinance. If you're interested in learning more about how Albemarle County's Community Development Department works, take a look at the department's work program. It's in the consent agenda for the December 1st meeting. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. and Let's have another Patreon-fueled shout-out. Charlottesville 350 is the local chapter of a national organization that seeks to reduce dependence on fossil fuels. Charlottesville 350 uses online campaigns, grassroots organizing, and mass public actions to oppose new coal, oil, and gas projects and build 100% clean energy solutions that work for all. To learn more about their most active campaigns, including a recent petition drive to the Richmond Federal Reserve Bank, visit their Facebook page at facebook.com slash seville350. One long segment to conclude the program today. Much of the conversation about the cost of housing has centered on building units in urbanized areas. But what role can non-urbanized areas play? The Central Virginia Regional Housing Partnership led a panel discussion on November 16th to discuss the challenges. One of the biggest challenges is money. When you talk about funding for affordable housing, you think of urban. That's Colleen Fisher, the executive director of the Council for Affordable and Rural Housing. In fact, the main federal agency most people associate with the topic is called the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Fisher reminded the audience that the U.S. Department of Agriculture also offers federal support through their Rural Housing Service, but that program is not funded at high levels. One step localities can take is to take an assessment of what's currently in the rural area. Jonathan Knopf is the Senior Research Associate for Housing Forward Virginia. We need ample resources to preserve our dedicated affordable housing stock in rural Virginia. Um, we have a lot of uh, low-income housing tax credit properties that were kind of the first and second generation um, life tech properties. And a lot of that stuff is kind of reaching the end of their affordability terms. And so we need resources for um, housing providers to come in and lock in the affordability of that um, assisted multifamily stock. 
Those credits are issued by the Virginia Housing Development Authority. Knopf said one challenge for rural areas is competition for those credits from urban areas. Um, it's tough to break away from this either-or resource conversation, and I think we really need to move to kind of a both-and um, framework for um, housing resources across the Commonwealth so our rural um, rental needs don't get left behind. Let's recap the area's LIHTC units. A reminder, LIHTC stands for Low Income Housing Tax Credit Properties. Greene County has 146 LIHTC units at four properties. Louisa has 115 units in three developments. Nelson has 159 units in three properties. Albemarle has 1,089 units, most of which are in the urban area around Charlottesville, except 34 units reserved for seniors in Scottsville. There are currently no LIHTC properties in Fluvanna. Jesse Rutherford is a member of the Nelson County Board of Supervisors. He says the cost of housing used to be affordable in rural communities, but what he called overregulation in land use and building codes in the past few decades is a problem. You can't add regulation and expect it to get cheaper. Uh, and so in the last 15, 20, 25 years, we've seen the collapse of affordable housing in the rural area. I, I, I think that there's a, definitely some low-hanging fruit as it relates to zoning re- reform or more some certain by right dance density. Uh, as we know, in the urban context, you can't use the word affordable, and it's the same in the rural, without the word density following it. Rutherford wants zoning ordinances to be altered to reduce setbacks, which he said renders land unusable for more housing units. Knopf said the cost of labor and building materials is drastically increasing the cost of housing, and some form of subsidization is required. However, he said a balance of tools can be used to produce more units and preserve existing ones. We don't need rocket science or fancy uh, fancy things to solve some of these issues. In many cases, it's just dedicating the right funding and you know fixing our existing policies and regulations, um, especially zoning and a lot of things Jesse talked about, to make things work and you know try to get the economic side and the supply chain side and the labor market side um, at least moving in the right direction to to correct um, some of the paths we've been on for the past couple of decades. Fisher said members of her organization report that construction costs keep rising. Um, just because we're in a rural area doesn't mean that things are cheaper and some people have that opinion that because you are building in a rural community that it's going to cost you less. Well, that's not necessarily true. One factor is labor. Keith Smith is the chair of the Central Virginia Regional Housing Partnership. He cited one statistic from the Bureau of Labor Statistics reviewed by the National Association of Home Builders. We are, according to national data, we are anywhere between 300 to 400,000 construction workers short per month. We're going to recover from the, the material costs. I've been building and development for three over three decades. This is, goes up and down. It's going to take many, many decades to work through the labor force. To review the rest of the event, you can watch the whole thing on the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission's YouTube page and leave a comment either there or here in this newsletter. Send me a line if you're interested in hearing more. 
And that's it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement for Saturday, November 27th, 2021. I hope everybody had a great holiday and are continuing to have a great cold weekend because it is certainly that in Central Virginia. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of this program. Uh, if you would like to support me, I think it's something called Small Business Saturday. So I'm going to go ahead and do the pitches if I could. There are many ways to support this program. Uh, the number one way, of course, is to subscribe through Substack at $5 a month, $50 a year, or at the founder's level of $200 a year. The cool thing is that Ting will match your initial contribution, which is fantastic because it does help uh, expand uh, the reach of your contribution. Another thing that you can do, of course, is to donate through Patreon. Uh, Patreon is a good way to, to fund the overall research that I'm doing. It's not just Charlottesville Community Engagement. There's also the archive site, Information Charlottesville. There's a lot of other stuff that I hope to be able to do in the near future. And by supporting through Patreon, you can really help that out. And of course, there are different tiers. At $5 a month, you get a complimentary subscription through Substack. Uh, for $10 a month, you get to hear whatever experimental things I might be working on. I should probably work on some of those. And for $25 a month, you get four Patreon shoutouts a month. There's quite a lot of ways to support this program. Uh, you can also give a gift subscription through Substack if you would like to do so. This is a small business, and this is what I do seven days a week, and I really do appreciate your support, even if that support is sending it on to somebody else so that they can take a listen, they can take a look, and um, hopefully get as many eyes on as much of this government stuff as possible. The idea is to get more people aware of what's going on, and that's what I do. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host and producer of this program and president of Town Crier Productions. I'll be back tomorrow with the Week Ahead newsletter, and hopefully I will have a big piece on the Charlottesville Comprehensive Plan, maybe on Monday, maybe on Tuesday. There's a lot to get through. Thank you, and stay safe and stay warm. <laughs> <laughs>